Father God, you're so good to us in so many ways, and we're blessed by these young people and how they have shared and uh, what you're doing in their lives. We know they're um, at a critical time, uh, both for them, their families, and this church, and so we uh, are grateful for that. God, I thank you for the time away at Shepherd's Conference, and Lord, I ask that um, as we pray as a church, and we would uh, be zealous, zealous to chase after your will, to put our hand to the plow, and to do what you want us to do here in this place. Give us uh, huge hearts to obey and to be faithful, um, and give us a joy of serving you as we follow after, or in step with you and walk with you. God, we also pray uh, for the Milbys. I think of them in Japan, and God, I I ask for wisdom for them to know how to direct their efforts and to partner with your church and to um, serve uh, a nation that has been rocked by this disaster. God, we're grateful that the disasters of this life, the wars, um, earthquakes, the famines, the upheaval, I'm grateful that you remain on your throne And though this world is chaotic, we know that our home, our true home, is not chaotic, but is beautiful and peaceful with you forever. Uh, God, we long for that. We are grateful for your care for us. Direct us as we pray for Japan uh, if there's things that you want us to do. God, thank you for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and I will hopefully, um, I will get through half my notes this morning. The Lord should will. Please stand in honor of God's word, and I'd like to read to you verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as as if it were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perished as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. God, thank you for the opportunity of being before your word. Thrill us with it now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So earlier in the week, um, I titled my message, and then I didn't like my title. 
by the end of the week. So I wanted to tell you, I have a new title. It is The Shaping of Your Conscience. And this passage, as we look at it, I want to warn you that, that your conscience or the way you think about different things in life is shaped by different people that have been here in your life, different people you've listened to. And you kind of prioritize and categorize who's important to listen to. And then that kind of brings your, your frame of thinking and it becomes your conscience as time goes on. Some of you are saying, well, you know, conscience, no big deal. Sometimes right, sometimes wrong. It's interesting to me that when you go through life, you can be in a place by yourself about ready to do something, and then you're thinking to yourself, my grandma would not approve of what I'm going to do right now. Dad would not like this at all. My teacher who taught me, my Sunday school teacher, I can hear her voice right now as I'm about ready to do this. And what happens is we get these these impressions that, impact our conscience, and then they direct the path that we go. And what we feel comfortable doing, what we enjoy doing, what we think is right, and other things that we say, I I can't do that. I I won't do that. Because I just can't get myself past hearing my mom's voice, my dad's wisdom, my Sunday school teacher, as she'd look at that pained face of sin. And I, I just can't do it. This morning, as we look at this passage, we'll realize that, that the readers of Col- the book of Colossians were struggling with that as well. That they were struggling with, who do I listen to? What do I cling to? And what do I let go? This morning, uh, hopefully we will get shaped in our conscience and who we are in our inner man, that as we live this out, that we will be different, that we will be different. The passage starts out this morning in verse 16. It says, therefore, and as it says, therefore, it reminds us that this is part of a context. I, I know in our world today, a lot of times we like to grab little pieces of Scripture and we pull them out and we, we say, I know what I'm supposed to do because of this. And we quote the place or the phrase and totally ripped out of context. And it may not be wrong the way we're using it, but I, I want to remind you that we are part of a context. That the book of Colossians was written to a specific people. And what has gone before, uh, as Paul has directed them, impacts what we're going to talk about this morning. Colossians chapter 1 and the first part of verse 2 is all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's about Him, who He is, and His deity. It's about Him being the fullness of of all that is God. It's about Him being enough and and great. And then as as we look at this passage, in verse 8, He talks about beware of... uh, letting anyone take you captive. And then last week, I really want to preach last week's message again, by the way. I, I just I just loved it. I just loved it. Not because I was such a great preacher. I, it, it's just such a great passage. Because it talks about, in the verses prior to verse 16, it talks about that we were dead in our sins. That there was no life in us. And then this dramatic thing happened. As dramatic as the resurrection that because of our connection with Christ, 
We've been risen from the dead. We've been given life. And in that life that we had gained in Christ, that he took care of that dead, he wiped us clean. How did he do it? Nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross so that we can have life. We can have freedom. What an amazing picture for us. And then this morning, as we come to verse 16, it says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Doesn't that sound great? Some of you are already feeling a little bit, Yeah, don't pass judgment on me. You know why we don't like people passing judgment on us? Because most of the time they're right, right? We don't like to be told we're wrong. Even if we are wrong, right? Right? Not that, uh, not that this happens to any of you. This is hypothetical as well. But it, th- for those of you who are married, do you like it when your spouse tells you you're wrong? It probably never happens to you all, right? It probably never happens. And in our household, you know, Rebecca is just always looking for those places where I'm wrong and she can just never find them. Wait, that was too loud of a laugh. I wanted a little chuckle, but I didn't want... And it was quick, too. Did you see how that... I don't appreciate that. Let's just go to God's Word. Judgment. Judgment. And the picture here is don't allow that voice inside of you to be offended. Don't let anyone impact you that way, in such a way. And it's going to list out in ways that we might be offended in our own hearts and judgment. This is what it says, verse 16. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food or, and drink. Food and drink. It's hard for us to imagine this, that, that, but there were, there were some. And, and the culture here, if I can go back to verse 8 again, look, look real quickly. You've got to remember why he's talking about this. What is the, the problem of the church of the Colossians? What's their problem? Their problem is they're in danger of listening to false teachers. They're in danger of listening to someone who will not lead them towards Christ and the gospel, but away from Christ and his gospel. And, and I think about that this morning and maybe... Maybe at Bear Valley Church, you're sitting here and you're going, oh, why do we need to be talking about that? Why do we care, you know? We don't, we don't have the struggles that they had back then. We're not bombarded by false teaching. Oh, yes, we are. It may not come in a, a form of a church or a, a preacher. It may be your best friend. It may be your peer group. It may be your mom. It may be your family around you, your coworkers. It may be anyone pushing on you saying, this is, this is what you should believe. This is how you should act. This is how you should formulate your life. And so as we look at this, he starts out saying, with questions of food and drink, There are many dietary laws in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, different places where uh, they were struggling with, should I eat this food or should I not eat this food? And what's interesting, I don't think it had anything to do with calories. 
I don't think it had anything to do with calories. Trans fats, I don't think they were concerned. Uh, they were just concerned. There were, there were bigger issues. And in the Old Testament, they, they looked to God and they said, God has said these things are unclean. We don't want to eat them. I don't believe necessarily that that is what is in view of the Colossian church here. See, what's interesting, and we see if he's warning them about false teachers, undoubtedly there were false teachers, and you've got to ask the question, so what were they teaching? How were they trying to draw them away from Christ? And chances are, by what he talks about in the book of Colossians, it is probably the wisdom of the day, the popular teachings of people who were thought to be wise, connected with Jewish law. And not necessarily Jewish law found in the scriptures, but laws on top of laws. The added ones. And how they were piling them up of this, these are the rules of life. You must do this. And if you do this, then you will be a good person and right. If you don't do this, you're somehow living a life that's repulsive to everybody. So he says to food and drink. One of the common things of the day uh, when it comes to food was the idea of not eating meat. Not eating meat. And we, we have that here today. Um, not necessarily me, but uh, other people uh, are vegetarians. And they would say, well, I, I, have a, um, I have a concern for how animals are killed. And I don't think that should be right. And, or it's a health concern. Neither of those were in view in biblical times. A lot of it was mystical in the sense that they looked at animals and they said there's a possibility that somehow sin could be transferred from this animal to me. Whether through reincarnation or something mystical that somehow would plant that in. As I eat it, as I eat it, it will affect me. And so he says when it comes to food, when it comes to food, don't let anybody, don't let anyone judge you when it comes to food. He also talked about drink. And, and there was a group, we'll talk about them in the next two weeks, the ascetics, who basically said to abstain, to push things away, to not touch things, to not have them go in you, is somehow good in and of itself, in and of itself. And sets them up for this mystical uh somehow experience because of them pushing away. And that was probably what was view in view when he talks about drink, of pushing it away. But he says, hey, don't, don't let anyone, don't let anyone judge you when it comes to the issues of food and drink. Then he goes on to a second part of his list. In verse 16, once again, he says, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. When you look throughout the the Old Testament with the Jews, they were concerned with dates on a calendar. And there were different times where they were required to be a part of and to celebrate different events in in the history of the Jews. There were different offerings that they made and there were different rituals they would go through. And so the idea for a Jew of being concerned about the calendar would be a big deal. What day is it? Is it a time of a new moon? Is it one of the festivals coming up? Is it the Sabbath? 
And the idea of looking to a calendar to determine when they would worship, when they would come, when they would prepare themselves was super important. But in this passage, as Paul shares with this group of people that are susceptible to being drawn away, he says, don't let anyone judge you as to a festival, a new moon, Sabbath. Don't let anyone judge you. Why? Why? I think about what that would look like. And uh, for some of you who are retired, um, I think of my daughter. She's homeschooled right now, and uh, she's young. And so she always, she wakes up and she says, what day is it? What day is it? She always wants to know if it's Sunday because she knows that we're coming to church and she likes coming to church. I think she just likes the surprise box and wearing a dress. But, you know, I, I may be confused. What day is it? What day is it? And let me ask you, does it matter what day it is? Should we be excited or anticipating God to move more on Sunday than Tuesday? Is there a sense of, oh, it's uh, the first of the month. God's really going to be doing something on the first of the month. Hey, when 2012 gets here, that that's when it's really going to happen. Or maybe we think He's coming in May. I don't know. When is God going to show up? When are we going to have this relationship that Christ is poured out, poured out in us? What day is it going to happen? Look in your calendar and guess. You know what? There's nothing on the calendar. There's nothing there. There's no day that will distinguish God's love from us from the other day. That He is the one. He says, so, so the idea of judging someone based upon them keeping a festival, a new moon celebration, the Sabbath. So those are days on a calendar. Those aren't meant to be for us to gain a significance in our heart. For us to gain a confidence. No way. You see, these shaped people's conscience. Went to the festival or they they anticipated it and they said, I got to be there. Why do you got to be there? It's the festival. I'm looking, you know, they anticipated the Sabbath coming and they scurried around and they prepared and then the Sabbath came and it all went into motion. Why? Because it was the Sabbath. Why is it a big deal? God told me to, you know, God told me it is. And I'm I'm nervous that somehow He's going to remove His blessing from me. He won't think well of me unless I celebrate the Sabbath. And he says, don't look to the calendar. Don't let anyone judge you as to what day it is. Verse 17 is my favorite this morning. Okay? Favorite verse of the, verse of the morning. Verse 17. Love this. He uses this as a backdrop and he warns them about teachers who would cause them to cling to anything outside 
to these other things. And then in verse 17, he says this, these are a shadow of the things to come. These are just a shadow. Just a shadow. Maybe that doesn't seem so significant to you. But as you, I, I have a shadow right here. It's on the stage right here. It comes from these lights. I also have a glare, but we're not talking about glares here this morning. Shadows, okay? Shadows. And this shadow can tell you something about myself. But it's not real. It's not real. If I told you, uh, if I said, can you come up here and give me a hug? And you say, no, but I'll give your shadow a hug. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Because the shadow's nothing. You say, well, you know, I don't know anything, but I see the shadow. What color of shirt am I wearing? The shadow doesn't tell you. It's a vague outline, but it's not real. It's not real. When I think of this passage, and uh, I've heard of other dogs, uh, one that lives at the Jones house that does this ridiculous thing. I, I knew some people uh, a while back, I'm not exactly sure, many years ago, but they said, hey, come look at our dog. Come look at our dog. And I'm like, dog's a dog, right? You know, what's, no, no, our dog is so stupid. <laughs> and they said, why is your dog stupid? I said, watch this. And they pull out a flashlight and they, they shine it on the ground. He said, get it. And they'd go back and forth like this. And the dog would frantically start barking and biting at the ground, looking to try to catch the light and stop it from moving. And all the while, they're just confidently just going like this. And the dog doesn't realize that the spot on the ground isn't what's real. It's a light in the hand. You see, there's a sense in which as we look to these other things... Uh, Let me just read the rest of the verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, the things I've talked about. But the substance, but the substance, that which is real, is what? Belongs to Christ. Belongs to Christ. Do you get that? You see, um, when when you make lists of things you got to do to please God, when you sort those things out, the things, the events or the, the activities or the rules of your life, and you say, these are going to bring me close to Christ. These are going to really bring me to the place where God uh, has me in relationship with Him. But what does it say? Don't worry about the shadows. Worry about the reality of Christ. Christ, He's the one. He's the substance. He's that which is real. This passage will go on and we'll talk about it in the next weeks. In fact, we'll start at this passage next week. But this morning, as as I think about this church, as I think about this Sunday, and as we have the youth here with us, and we've celebrated what God's done in their lives, some parents here this morning, some grandparents, some great-grandparents, and some grandparents who are great. I didn't want to confuse all that. But what do you need? What do you need? What is it that's going to make a difference in your life? Is it a list of things? Is it a conscience that, that's bothered by everything? Is that what you need? Or do you need the substance of Christ? You see... This is 
one of the great struggles of, of our church, of our church, of this group of people, of this pastor, uh, of this area that we live in. We're searching and seeking what will make life good. We, we move here. We, we seek after things. We change jobs. We, we gather to ourselves. And what is it that we need? It's Jesus. It's Him and Him alone. Sometimes we feel a confidence in uh, being conservative or of following rules that somehow came from somewhere. And we say, this is what we need. But in the end, it doesn't fill us up. It's just chasing after the shadow. What we really need is the one that's the substance, and that's Jesus, the same one, the same one who brought us from death to life, the same one who took our sins, all all that stuff, that debt that we had, canceling it, nailing it to the cross. He's the one we need. So he's the one we should cling to. Couldn't help but think um, about the book of Galatians as I've been going through this passage. And I won't have you turn there, but in the first chapter as well as the third chapter, and really it's the whole argument of the book of Galatians. Um, the uh, Paul writes to the Galatian church in chapter 3, and you know what he says to them? Hey, nice guys. Let me pray for that right now. God, we don't know what's going on, if that's an ambulance or fire or whatever, but we ask that you would... Uh, grant grace to the family that is experiencing trial. And we ask that you would glorify yourself in this area as we minister your grace in this community. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says to the Galatian church, he says, you foolish Galatians, you foolish Galatians. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? If one of my kids told one of my other kids, you fool, it'd be in for a scolding at the minimum, right? And yet the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God, told the whole church that. And what was their big offense? What was their big offense? Is they abandoned the goodness of Christ for a bunch of rules. May we as a church, as we as individuals, learn to cling to Christ. To not be bombarded by these other things that make us feel good and uh, somehow direct our path, but not to Christ. Let us not follow the shadow, but follow the substance. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning, uh, the blessing of it. My heart is filled and overflowing by your church. And so uh, this morning, as we have reflected on the goodness of Christ, I pray that you would even order our world right now, that you would not allow these young ones, these ones who are at uh, really a turning point in their life, that they would not cling to their looks, to their grades, to their upbringing, to something on the calendar, to a diploma. May they not cling to anything, but cling to Christ. And God, may we as a church, as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, 
May we also model that, that we cling to Christ and Him alone. God, guide your church. Help us to be all that you want us to be. Keep us following you, not ourselves. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.